Okay, we're talking about discipleship these days. More specifically, we're talking about discipleship of the mind. Uh, what we've seen is that, uh, that when you surrender your life to Christ, you receive a fullness of life inside of you. Jesus said, whoever believes in me, out of their innermost belly will flow rivers of living water. Life to be flowing out of us. Love is to be flowing out of us. Joy is to be flowing out of us. But what we've also seen is that we're very good at corking that, at plugging up uh, old, uh, not old Yeller, Yellowstone, Geyser, what's that Geyser in Yellowstone Park? Old Faithful, old Yeller. <laughs> yes, we kick that dog right in the teeth, we do, right? We cork up old Yeller. <laughs> No wonder people don't understand my messages like it. <laughs> we believe lies. We have got, we, the analogy we've used is we've got microchips implanted, installed in our brain, which are, are, are they, they operate automatically under the right triggers, the right situations. They flash in our brain pictures and words and a virtual reality that we experience as real. And all of our feelings are a response to the virtual reality in our head, not to what's outside of our head. And so insofar as we experience lies, we cork the flow of God's life uh, inside of us. To, have, to walk in in an experiential way the fullness of life that God died for us to have, uh, we need to have, a, 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 there has to be congruity in our head. I mean, there must be congruity between our soul and our spirit. Uh, to the extent that we think truth, see truth, experience truth in our head to that degree, we walk in truth. To the extent that we are in bondage to lies, we suppress the truth. To that extent, we are robots that have been programmed by the matrix of this world, the pattern of this world. And what we're aiming to do in this whole series is to get out of the matrix, to take the red pill, to get ourselves free. Now, what I want to do this morning and, and the next couple times I talk, it will be on this topic. I want to talk about one aspect of the life of God that we tend to cork very well. I want to talk about the joy of the Lord. And I want to talk about how the matrix corks the joy of the Lord in our life. And this morning, I'm going to be talking about one fundamental structural aspect of the matrix that keeps us walking uh, in, in despair sometimes, in hopelessness, or just blast. But in any case, the joy of the Lord is not present there. Now, to set it up, I want to look at a couple of passages that are important for us to realize. The first thing we've got to realize is that God is joyful. All the pictures that you've seen and all the words that you heard that depict him as sort of a ticked-off old man in heaven with a thunderbolt ready to throw it at any moment are wrong. God is joy. He is life. He is love, which is joy. And so it says this, just to give a small sampling of this, in 1 Chronicles 16. It says, Honesty and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Where, where, when you enter the habitation of God, you enter joy. Strength and joy, and those two things go together, we'll see here shortly. They are in God's habitation. The psalmist says that in your presence, O Lord, there is fullness of joy. God is the fullness of joy, the perfection of joy, unsurpassable joy. And to enter into his presence is to enter into joy. God is about joy. Now what we also need to see is that God's heart is for his people to enter into that joy, to participate in his joy. One of the reasons why God created the world was for, in fact, the central reason was for uh, people to share in his love and therefore share in his joy. The joy that characterizes God, God wants to share with us. And so, for example, Jesus says in John 15, I've said these things to you so that my joy, the joy that characterizes me, the joy of being the Son of God, may be in you. Not a secondary derivative joy, but the same joy that characterizes God, Jesus says he wants it to be in us. Why? So that our joy may be complete. 
Not a fragmentary joy, not a partial joy, not a transitory joy, but a joy that is full, a joy that is free. God's heart is to have people who are saturated with joy, filled with joy, unsurpassable joy. It's amazing. And then finally, if we understand things rightly, we'll see that it is this joy that is to be the fuel that our spiritual life runs on. It's what gives us strength. And so Nehemiah, for example, said to his people, do not be grieved, even though the world right now is looking very negative. He says, do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. God's goal is for us to be just on joy steroids. He wants our, our strength, our muscles to be joy. The thing that gets us through life is joy. The thing that empowers us to live for him is joy. The things that motivates us to be self-sacrificial is joy. What, what we do as disciples, as apprentices of Jesus Christ, if, we're under, if our understanding is right, we don't do it to get something we don't already have. We do it to express something we already have. And what we already have is the fullness of joy, God's own joy in our life. Okay, let me pray here for a moment. Let's talk to God. God, uh, we love you and want to have lives that are in line with truth as you defined it, which is just to say truth. To a large degree, we don't. We have been robots programmed by our past. We want to get free. I can't talk our way into freedom. I can't talk my own way into freedom. But Lord, you are the freedom maker. You are the, uh, the one who came to set the captives free. And so we pray right now, Lord, would you just impregnate every word that I say with your authority to write it into our minds to set us free. Uncork the joy, Lord. Some here are blasé, others are absolutely despondent. But God, I want the, the joy uncorked here this morning. Lord, free, free us from the lies. Set the captives free. Break the chains. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. 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 Question. Why do we honestly now lack that joy? We have happiness here and there, but we don't have this kind of joy. Why is that? Now, immediately you might be inclined to say, well, have you got two hours? I'll tell you why I don't have joy. You know, you should see my kids. It's my, they're acting out. My marriage is a mess. My finances are in, ru in a ruin. I, got, I lost my job. My health is declining. I got, you know, I, I got a lot to be joyless about. Uh, the world, look around at the world. What are you, some kind of Pollyanna Christian with your head buried in the sand, joining a Jesus Bless Me club and closing your eyes to all the ruthless barbaric evil things that are going on in this world. There's a lot of suffering in this world. Kids are starving right now. Uh, you got uh, the war over in Iraq. You got the Palestine-Israeli conflict. You got tribal warfare in Africa. Come on, open your eyes. The world's a mean place and my life stinks and now you're saying we should have joy. I'll tell you why I don't have joy. Look around. Okay. But it's not like Jesus didn't know that. Uh, it, was, it was not like he was like uh, when he was talking this way, that everyone back, everything and everyone back then was just peachy keen and happy. Uh, in fact, God knows everything that I just said and feels it more deeply than we ever could imagine, and yet the Bible says God has joy. How is that possible? And the disciples that he's talking to, these disciples, are going to be martyred here in, in short order. Uh, Nero is going to, in 62, uh, launch a persecution where among other the niceties that he did to Christians, he would dip some of them in tar and light them on fire as a form of entertainment. 
Uh, Jesus knew what they were going to be going through. In fact, he promised them, in this world, you're going to have trials, you're going to have tribulations. Ah, my joy can be complete in you. Clearly, the joy of the Lord isn't something that depends on circumstances. Happiness depends on circumstances. But the joy of the Lord is a joy that can be there no matter what. In the good times and in the bad times, in the heartache times and in the celebration times, the joy of the Lord can be, a, if you will, a subterranean, pervasive sense of well-being. Joy is about a, an overall sense of well-being. Happiness is being delighted or, uh, in circumstances, and sadness is being uh, miserable about circumstances, but both can contain joy. And the question I'm asking is, why do we lack that kind of joy, the kind of joy you could have even if you're facing death? Uh, you're facing martyrdom. In fact, did you know that one of the ways, one of the primary ways the early church grew, one of the ways they witnessed was by uh, having Christians martyred. The way they died witnessed to people about the truth of Christianity. That, the word martyr simply means witness, but it became synonymous with giving your life uh, for Jesus Christ because that was the main way they witnessed in the early church. People would see the joy that these Christians had walking into a lion's den or being dipped in some tar ready to set on fire and, uh, and, and it would convince them that the gospel is true. How did they have that? Why do we lack that? If you've been here for any length of time, you kind of know where I'm going to go with this. It has to do with those freaking microchips. <laughs> it has to do with the microchips. We have got things in our head that systematically suppress that joy from being experienced, from being manifested. I want to talk about one aspect of all matrix microchips. Uh, all lies of this world, they have one thing in common, and it is one of the main things that steals joy. It has to do with how we frame life, how we frame our problems, how, how we think about them. A frame is what makes a picture the picture that it is. It, it gives you the contours of the picture, where the picture begins and where the picture ends. The frame determines what you see, what you experience, and how you feel about that picture. Think of it this way. Right now, imagine, if you will, uh, I, I was actually going to put a, a slide of this on the screen, but I thought it would be in bad taste, and for the first time in my life, that actually meant something, so I didn't show it. But imagine here a knife going into a person's chest, just plunging into a person's chest. You see it, okay? Just frame it like this. You see the knife, you see the chest, there's blood oozing, it looks like the, the, the knife is ripping down, you see some of the meat tissues coming out there, you know, it's just going really deep. I see you look and see it in your faces. You're cringe. Ah, yeah, good, gore, ah. A murder's taking place. This is wrong. This is evil. This is bad. What are you doing talking about this in church? Okay, that's one frame. Now broaden the frame. Push it out. Stop. Zoom out a little bit. And now you're looking at a whole room, and it's an operating room, and there's a doctor who's operating a guy, on a guy to save his life. It changes the entire meaning of the picture. See, I, I, how you zoom in and how you zoom out determines what you see, what you experience, and, and, and therefore how you feel about what you're seeing. And what you need to know is this. All of our thoughts have a frame to them. They begin at a point and they end at a point. All of those microchips are little tiny movie video things that run or they're tapes that run. They have a beginning and the end. And what you need to know about all of those microchips, the lies we've inherited from mom and dad, the media commercials, the pattern of this world, all of them, they, 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 they cork joy because they begin and end in the wrong place. They frame things wrong. A person, suppose, just imagine a person uh, in a bad marriage. They, they feel despondent. They feel angry. 
And the reason is if you can become a detective of, of their brain and get inside is because they've got a photograph just like this. And on the right triggers, that photograph comes up. Or maybe it's a motion picture, a little frame reel that they run. And it's a picture of, of their bad marriage. And they look at it, and they're zoomed in like this. And so, of course, they're getting angry at their marriage, and they're feeling despondent because it's never going to change because their whole sense is this is the whole of reality is found in this picture. They're looking at it like this. A person who suffers from rejection, you know, it just always feels rejected. People are always rejecting them. They're always worried about this and, and whatnot. Well, get inside their head, and you'll see that there's a picture of dad walking out of the door when he's seven years old, uh, you know, saying, I'm never coming back. And, he, and there's a freeze frame. There's a zoom in going on. And anybody who saw that would, would feel the same way. In fact, the person's experiencing it as a seven-year-old. When these neural nets get activated, when these microchips get activated, we experience them from the perspective that we, were, we had when they got installed. So he's a seven-year-old feeling rejection again. Now it's happening so fast he doesn't know it's happening, but he feels the, the, the ramifications from it. And he may even intellectually know that, that these people aren't really rejecting him, but he still feels rejected because there's a seven-year-old staring at dad walking out of uh, the, the doorway. A young lady's afraid of having uh, sex with her husband. Why is that? Well, do, be a detective of the mind, and you'll find that there's a freeze frame, a zoomed-in freeze frame on, the, on, on her being abused by her brother, let's say. Um, and uh, what, what, one aspect of all traumatic memories is that they end with the trauma. And so there's a sense that life is coming to, the, to an end. And you have it from the perspective that, that you had when it was installed in your brain. So she's an eight-year-old being molested all over again. Of course she's going to have trouble having healthy relationships with her, her husband. This, the very idea of a sex is a trigger that activates this photograph right in front of her face. So it is with all traumas, rejection, being afraid of, of sex. Some people walk around, they, they feel guilty sometimes. They, they just feel, they don't know why, they just feel guilty. Get inside their head, become a detective of, of their brain, and you'll find that there's microchips there that get triggered under the right situations, and boom, they see a past failure in their life, right like this. There's that abortion that I had, and they're re-experiencing it all over again. There's the football that I fumbled, uh, you know, and you're feeling the shame all over again. And you may have the intellectual knowledge that Jesus forgives you, you may have the intellectual knowledge that fumbling the ball in eighth grade is no big deal, but when you're in there, you're the eighth grader who's right now fumbling it. You're the woman who's right now having the abortion, or the affair, or what whatever it is that, that, that you're looking at, and that creates a feeling. That's what's, the brain registers that as real. The person I knew was just terrified of death, just uh, always afraid of death, and they always thought they were dying too. Whenever they got any kind of sickness, oh, this was it. I, I bet some of you are like that. Yeah, it's, it's quite common. You know, you, you get an ache, and it's like, uh-oh, that might be cancer. You know, uh, you're feeling kind of uh, fatigued out, leukemia setting in. Okay, and it terrorizes this person. I mean, it's okay to think you're dying, but don't get upset about it. Uh, but this person, get inside their brain, what they saw was a coffin, coffin being lowered into the ground. Why? This was the end of the story. This was the frame of reference. It began with death, it ended by going down on the ground, and that was the end of the picture. Intellectually, of course, they knew that the story goes on, but what their feelings are about, it's never about information. Their feelings are about what's being flashed on the screen of their brain when they think about death. And this is the end. It's, it's never seeing your, your loved ones again. The problem with all of those, those matrix uh, faith frames, and they really are faith frames because faith is the substance of things that you expect. It's, it's how you represent things that you expect. The problem with all of them is that they're myopic. They begin and end in the wrong place. They tell a slice of the story, but it's not integrated with the rest of the story, and that's how they hold us in bondage, and that's how they keep joy suppressed. The solution 
as we've seen in times past, is to take every thought captive to Jesus Christ. But to take every thought captive to Jesus Christ means this. To reframe every thought in conformity with Christ's frame of reference. We need some serious reframing going on. To reframe the memories, to reframe how you see the present, to reframe how you view the future, and to bring it into agreement with the ultimate frame of reference, which is God's. And we'll find the very act of stretching out the frame, going before and going after, uh, zooming out rather than zooming in, the very act of doing that releases joy in our life. So let me talk a little bit about God's perspective, God's ultimate frame of reference. Two things I want to say about it. Number one, it is not myopic. In fact, it is very, very, very big. Very, very big. God's frame of reference, in fact, is eternity. God has always been, he always will be, and his frame of reference is that. It says this in 2 Peter. There are some people who are worried about the second coming. How come the second coming hasn't happened yet? God's taking so long. This is in 75 A.D., 65 to 75 A.D. It's been 30 years since he died. He said he was coming back. Where is he? And they're going through some serious persecution. Nero is on a rampage, uh, and so they want to know. And so here's what uh, Peter says to them. Do not forget this one thing. You guys remember this one thing. Remember this one thing. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. He doesn't measure time the way you measure time. He's got a different frame of reference. Uh, it doesn't mean that he's timeless. Plato believed that. that he's sort of, you know, like time is frozen. He's up there. That's not what the verse is saying. Uh, it, 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 God is in sequence. Every verb applied to God in the Bible shows that God has a before and after. But he doesn't measure it the way we measure it. Think of it this way. Adults, uh, adults view the world differently than little kids because we've got a much broader frame of reference. You know, a 46-year-old's been around for a while. You've, you've seen a lot of the world. You've had a lot of experiences. The way you're going to assess uh, a lollipop dropping on the ground, it will be different than a 5-year-old. 5-year-old hasn't been around very long, doesn't have a, a big canvas against which to measure this experience, so dropping a lollipop in the ground when now you can't eat it is like the end of the universe. And this is a terrible, terrible thing. As an adult, it's, it's, it's not that big. It's like, you know, you still enter into it. Oh, that's too bad. Uh, but you'll realize in the total scheme of things, it doesn't mount to squat. You measure time differently when you get older. To me, this year is 146th of my life. It's just a fraction. To a five-year-old, it's one-fifth of his life or her life. And so it feels really, really, and plus they don't remember the first three years anyway, so it's half their memor- remembered life. So it's, 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 a year is like, like forever, the older you get, the smaller the fraction becomes, which is why it's, it's, a, it's a psychological fact. Time speeds up the older you get. It's going faster and faster and faster and faster. If you work this out in terms of, uh, in terms of mathematics, you'll find that the last half of your life, if you're an average person, the last half of your life you'll experience is eight times faster than the first half. Actually, a little faster than that. <laughs> We're almost dead. <laughs> This train is picking up speed and it's going to hit a brick wall anytime. Hallelujah. <laughs> That's why a little kid waiting in line is like, I can't wait, I can't wait, I can't wait, I can't wait. Adults, it's like, well, we're, you know, it's just a second. You know, a year is just a second. It, it just goes faster and faster. Well, God, you might think of it this way. God, God has the ultimate adult perspective. <laughs> he has the ultimate, he, he's been around for a while. He's been around forever. And he's, he goes eternity in that way and an eternity in that direction. It, there's infinity on all sides, which means that any, any segment of time he, ex, he experiences as infinitesimally small. 
We think of the world as very old and going on for a very long time and you know, the whole thing about creation and the fall of the angels, the rebellion of the angels, and then humans got co-opted into that, and God finally, after a couple thousand years, raises up Abraham and then takes his good old time with, uh, you know, getting the Jews out of Egypt, and then they wander in the desert for 40 years, you know, come on, come on, and then there's all this other long 400-year process before Jesus comes, and Jesus comes, he dies, and then he rises again, he says, hey, I'll be right back, but man, it's been 2,000 years, and where is the dude? You know, What's going on here? And then, then, then finally, you know, but he tells us that the kingdom is spreading like a mustard seed. And we're like, okay, get on with the whole thing. And finally, there'll be the wedding supper of the lamb and, and all of that. Now, to us, this takes a long time. We're talking about billions and billions of years. Here's how God experiences it. He starts over here. He's been loving throughout eternity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, going along, going along, enjoying himself. And all of a sudden, creation. Oh, there it is. See, see that? The whole of creation. I mean, I'm talking all the world history here. Okay, I'll do it again. Some of you missed it. Going along, going along, going along, going along. Yeah, watch carefully. All the creation, dinosaurs to the computers, everything. There it is. Do you see it? You see? I, I, I. See? This is why we wonder. Oh, hey, I thought the devil was defeated. How come he still has authority? It's like, well, okay, he's he's in the process of dying. It's just a little blip. But to us, we're inside the blip. God's got a very big perspective on things. Dinosaurs to to computers. Boop, there it is. You know, uh, rebellion of Satan to the destruction of Satan. Oh, there it is right there. See, did you see that thing, whole thing? Now, if that's true of all world history, what do you think the perspective is on your problems? You know, the, 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 the little blip of your bad marriage, the little blip of your financial problems, the little blip of your health problems, the little blip of our life. It, 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 it's a very, it's, it's, a, it's a cosmic, eternal perspective on things. And what it means is this. Think of it this way. Your problems, those joy-corking problems, are as big as your frame of reference is small. Our job is not to zoom in on them and hold them like this so that they, they, it becomes all-encompassing. Our job is to zoom out, and that doesn't make the problem go away. I'm not talking about being a Pollyanna Christian who pretends like you don't have any problems. We got problems, but, but don't, don't be buried in them. Zoom out, and to take every thought captive to Jesus Christ means integrate the story of the, 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 of the problem to the big story, to the big picture, to God's perspective on stuff, and the very process of doing that begins to release joy. The problems begin to shrink. You still deal with them, of course, but, but, but they become very, very small as your God becomes very, very big. And now you're taking the smallness of your problems captive to that big God. You see what I'm saying? Here, here's, amen. Here's a strategy that I use. Try it out. Here's a strategy. I, I sometimes, when I'm in one of these situations that seem really, really, really big, really crisis, end of the world, apocalypse is coming, time to, to freak out, you know, end of my life as I know it. You know, those kind of things that we have all the time. Uh, you confront the situation. It's a huge problem. Oh, what are we going to do? Okay, I, I stop and do this little exercise. It takes about 20 seconds. I quickly fast forward the movie, fast forward to six billion years to, to, to the point where me and Jesus are sitting in heaven. And, 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 and I've been there six billion years, and we're just kind of sitting there, and hey, Jesus, how you doing? You know? and, and, and now the, the, this is old movie night in, in the kingdom of heaven. So we're going to watch some old flicks. Let's watch, hey, well, let's watch a little flick of your life. So you put in the, VC, the VCR, the cosmic uh, spiritual VCR, and then we watch what I'm going through right now. We watch it from the perspective of six billion years from now. And we start to giggle, and we start to laugh, and we start to, <laughs> look at that little blip. 
You thought it was so big. It was a lollipop dropped on the ground. Yeah, it don't seem so big at the time, man. That is, that's so puny compared to the, the glory that we have now in the whole expanse of time. And we just laugh hysterically. And then I take that lightness and I bring it over here and I jump back into my body. And there it is again. And see, because the, the truth is this. I'm getting my mind to think about things truly. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm lining it up with the way things really are. I am seated with Christ in heavenly places right now, it says in Ephesians 1. I'm not going to wait six billion years to start enjoying that fact. All right? And it totally changes your perspective when you have that. You see, this is, this is very, very, very small. I love that bumper sticker that says, don't sweat the small stuff. And it's all small stuff. <laughs> Now, it doesn't mean that, 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 that you don't deal with the problems. You deal with it. But here's the thing. You can actually deal with it more effectively when you see that everything is small. This too shall pass. You, when, when you take it captive to the big story, which is God's story, and now the joy of the Lord can begin to be your strength. You can deal with a lot of stuff, much more stuff than you used to, because stuff that used to freak you out, now you stay calm in, and now you're more effective in dealing with it. God's perspective is big. Take don't freeze frame, zero in on, on, on the one aspect of your story, the negative thing in your brain. You stretch that thing out and make it a part of the, make a little blip in an eternal story that God is telling. The second thing we got to know about God's perspective, it's not only big, it's good. It's good. It's very, very good. It is joyous. It's rapturous good. This is the, I've spoken about the duration of God's perspective. This is the quality of God's perspective says this in Romans 8, 28, one of my favorite verses. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He works for the good. doesn't say that God causes everything. doesn't say that everything happened to you is good. Some of the stuff that happens to us is absolutely trash. It's, it's, it's evil. It's wrong. It's bad. It's harmful. It's painful. God wishes it didn't happen. God grieves over it. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it comes from wills other than God. But the verse promises us, uh, us that in all things, God's working for the good. Uh, he's using it for the good. He's turning it to your advantage. Now, what, uh, uh, how, how good is it? How good is it? Well, here's what Paul says several verses before this. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. How good is it? It's incomparably good. In other words, the pain of your blip is nothing compared to the good that God is going to t bring out of that blip. That little tiny thing you're going through right now? Uh, God can bring more good out of it than the pain that you're having in the middle of it. In fact, uh, in, in fact the, the blip just it lasts for a moment, but the good he brings out of it is about our glory, and that lasts forever and ever and ever and ever. So the glory that God brings out of it as he's working things to the good uh, is incomparable to the pain of the blip. We serve an infinitely wise, omniscient, uh, all-powerful, sovereign God. And you've got to know that from the foundation of the world, he has set things up so that for every possible thing that might happen to us, he's got a plan in place to somehow turn it to our advantage. I don't know how because I'm not God. I, I can't give you the details on it, but I can take it on, on, on faith as true that the all-glorious God somehow, someway can turn everything to your advantage. It's like when we spill ink on a, on a sheet or something, he comes along and says, okay, now if you just work with me here, I can make that ink blot into a beautiful tapestry. And when it, when it, when it, when it, when it gets done, it ends up being way, beautiful, way more beautiful than the white sheet that we had actually started with. Every single thing that we go through, you got to include this in your frame of reference. Uh, keep the camera running to include this part. 
every single thing that we go through, he can somehow weave into a beautiful tapestry, weave it together for, to, to, for our advantage, weave it together for our good. And the good goes on throughout eternity. So you see how inaccurate it is to freeze frame the pain, to freeze frame the problem, to freeze frame the abuse, to freeze frame the, the, the bad marriage, to be walking around with our head buried in a picture that's activated in our brain at one three thousandth of a second. Expand the frame of reference. Broaden that thing out. This is just part of a beautiful story, and the beautiful story has a happy ending to it. Praise God. It's God working all things together for the better for those who love the Lord. You want to know how these early Christians could, could go to, the, to their grave uh, joyful? It's because they saw this is just a blip. You know, they probably said that when they were going in the Colosseum. Oh, there's lions out there. This is going to hurt. Yeah, but it's just a blip. And somehow, some way, God is going to weave this together. It's going to further his kingdom, and it'll be to our glory, and that lasts forever. It's just a blip. It's just a blip. Uh, in all things, God is working together for the marriage, y- 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 uh, for the better. You got a bad marriage? Yes, but don't zoom in on that. Uh, zoom out, get a bigger perspective here, uh, and watch how it changes your demeanor uh, towards the whole thing. Zoom out a little bit. Here, he, he, keep the camera running here. Uh, God's not done with this thing yet. No, no, God is working in, in this situation. Start having faith about that. Start seeing that. God is working here. And even if it ends up being a non-ideal marriage, you know what? Somehow, some way, the ingenious, brilliant God is going to turn that to your advantage. It will somehow add to your glory. Even that will be to your benefit. The story has, an, uh, has a happy ending. Things are looking very good, I might say. The future is looking very bright. Whatever blip you're going through right now, you got to know. Keep those cameras moving. Put it in a frame of reference where the ending turns out okay. Yes, it was bad that you were abandoned, but uh, don't stop the movie with your dad walking out. Keep that movie running because the next frame, what you see is that Jesus walked back in the door. Did you notice that? And he said, a new dad is in town and I'm never going to leave you and I'm never going to forsake you and I'll be with you always. Amen. 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 And even, and even the pain of the rejection, I can weave that into the beautiful tapestry of your life as well, and even that will work to your advantage. And, and, and the, the abuse that happened to you in the past shouldn't have happened. I wish it didn't happen, but it did happen. But now you got to, don't freeze frame that. Don't, don't be the perpetual eight-year-old who's always traumatized by that. Keep the movie running. Okay, there was life after that abuse. You're here listening to me right now. You survived that. But you didn't just survive it. You conquered it. You didn't just conquer it. The Bible says you more than conquered it. How? Because what God, what the enemy intended for evil, God intended for good. And he can take that past pain, he can take, take that past abuse and weave it together somehow, some way. He's an ingenious God. He weaves it to your advantage. He brings it into your glory. He, he builds a ministry with it. I don't know how he's going to do it, but you got to know that, that life goes on, and in fact, it gets better and better, and somehow, you, I hate what happened to me as a kid, but you know what? I can look back now, and I can see how God fashioned parts of me that would otherwise would never be fashioned. He's just an ingenious God. Uh, he, he, he brings the good out of it. Past moral failures, you're feeling like guilty, whatever, you're zooming in on, on, on the moral failing. Keep the camera running. Broaden your frame of reference. Zoom out a little bit here. Yeah, that, that shouldn't have happened. It did happen, though, right? We've all got that in our past. Won't do you a bit of good to be zooming in on that? It happened. You repent of it. You put it under the cross. Uh, you, you receive God's forgiveness. You learn from it, and then you're done with it. You just collapse that picture. See it as part of a, 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 of a, of a, a much greater story. Integrate the story of that failure into the story of God's tremendous grace, into the story of God's outrageous forgiveness, into the story of how God took that failing and then equipped you for ministry with it. Praise God. All things, in all things, he's working together for the better for those who love the Lord. And you're terrorized by death. Well, if you're zooming in on the coffin, no wonder. But does that tell you the whole story? Is that accurate? 
Mm-mm. Don't zoom in on the coffin. Oh, don't ignore the coffin. We're all going to be there. Uh, you know, but, but uh, so the coffin's part of our future. Maybe if the Lord doesn't come back. Uh, okay, so what? Keep the cameras rolling. Get a broader frame of reference. The coffin isn't the end. Dude, the coffin's the beginning. Huh? The, this whole thing's been a warm-up. <laughs> you know, you, you're, you're, just getting, you're just getting going. Keep the camera rolling. What you'll find in the very next frame is that you've entered the place that God always wanted human beings to be in. You, you're not separated forever from your loved ones. They're right there with you, and you're dancing with the triune God. You're celebrating with the triune God. You're in the place where now you are fully experiencing God's unsurpassable joy and unsurpassable peace. There's no more tears, and there's no more sorrow, and there's no more heartache. There's no more kidnapped children. There's no more lies. There's no more sin. Uh, God's love is reigning supreme. That's a pretty happy ending, if you ask me. Amen. Amen. I got, I got Rick sitting right in front of me here in the front row. He found out a couple of weeks ago that he's got six months to live. That's what the doctors tell him. And, and he's running faith pictures about healing. We're, we're moving towards that. We pray for him. But the other thing is that, that uh, the joy of the Lord is his strength. Uh, he's been talking about, he says, I, I've never been so clear in my life. There's such an anointing right now. And you know why? He's, he's walking in joy in this whole thing. Uh, and the reason is because his, his movie doesn't stop with the coffin. No, he sees the big picture. He zooms out. He sees what's just beyond that, and it's not bad. And see, when you have that eternal perspective, you still deal with the issues of life. I'm not advocating Pollyanna, pretending the world's a wonderful place kind of Christianity. But see, when you have that perspective and you, you see how the thing turns out, you can't help but be an optimist. You don't have to figure out all the details. You don't have to have all the answers, but you know that God is victorious. And with that confidence, you have strength. The joy of the Lord in the midst of any blip you're going through, as long as you're not freeze-framing it, as long as you're not letting it define the whole of, you are, of who you are, when you zoom out and see it in, in terms of the big picture, it releases a kind of a joy. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. I can deal with anything uh, if, if I've got that perspective, if I've got that reframe. You know, what we need is an extreme makeover on the way we frame things, huh? An extreme makeover. You know, there's so much talk about extreme makeovers with our body. Let's do an extreme makeover with our brain, praise God. I want to think different. I want to see things different. I want to frame things different. I want to trade in the old lies, and I want to cash in on some truth. What do you say? I, I get rid of those old myopic frame of reference and get a vision for what is really true. Integrate the faith frames of every aspect of your life, past, present, and future, with the faith, faith frame for who Jesus is, for who God Almighty is. Uh, trade in your zooming in perspective and get a zoom zooming out perspective. Trade in looking at the problems way up here and making them so big. Zoom out and see how puny those are from God's perspective. Trade in your bondage and let's get a little bit free. huh? Trade in your prison and let's start walking in the kingdom of God. Trade in those freeze frame photos that get activated in our brain and let's get a movie that keeps on going on forever and ever and ever and ever. Trade in those bad endings for a story that always has a good ending. And now, now you're taking thoughts captive to Jesus Christ and now you find joy being released. I want to end this morning. Uh, this is kind of a last minute gig, so we're, we're, we're just kind of trying this. Uh, but we need to proclaim this. We need to solidify this in our brain. It starts with a resolve. You say, yes, okay, I'm going to resolve to in every thought in my head, take every thought captive, and I'm going to do that by putting it, uh, painting it against the, can the infinite canvas of God's love, the infinite canvas of God's greatness. And, and you resolve to do that. You say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. I'm trading in the trash, and I'm getting the inheritance in Jesus Christ. I want to stand, and we're going to put on a tape, and we're going to sing along with this tape. And I've asked Nicole to help me lead worship on this one. All right, just, just as a supplement. Let's stand, let's stand. 
Make this your prayer. Make this your proclamation. Make this your pledge. All right. We're training in. All right. I'm training. I'm training my soul. Yes, I am. I'm training my shame. All of it. All of it. I'm laying them down down for the joy of the Lord. Isn't that simple? Joy of the Lord. Sickness. Oh, yeah. I'm trading my pain. Why not? I'm laying them down Lay them for the joy of the Lord. Lay it down. Lay it Yes, Lord. 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 Yes, Lord.
Halleluja. 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 I feel like preaching it again right now. You got, there is such freedom. Uh, it, there's a, such a lightness to being when you frame it like this. It doesn't mean that you're just above all the problems of the world. No, you're in the problems. But there's a subterranean joy that begins to saturate you when you keep this perspective. It's light. Everything is so small. Everything is so, everything is so small. You see, and that means I can deal with it. I can deal with it because I, I, I got a captive to Jesus Christ. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Walk in that freedom. Walk in that freedom. Watch how you frame things. Could, could you close your eyes to pray? And I, I just would ask the prayer team to come forward right now. And if you're here this morning and have any need that you'd like to pray for, uh, they'd be happy to spend some time praying with you. If you're here this morning and you've never personally surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, do that. It starts with, a, here's the trade that starts the whole thing. You trade in your sin and he gives you his righteousness. It's about putting your trust in Jesus Christ. And if you want to find out more about that, have questions about it, or want to actually make that commitment this morning, uh, I and some others will be over at this table right as soon as we're dismissed. Come up here for just a minute, and we'll, we'll be glad to, to talk with you about that. So, Father, right now in Jesus' name, I, I just pray, God, that as we go out of this place, we'll have a reframe, God, that, uh, that uncorks joy in our life. It's already there, just waiting to, to gush her forth. Uh, but uh, God, we cork it. Lord, uh, help us to, pay, to attend to how we frame things, what we stare at in our brain. And Father, help us to take every thought captive to the ultimate reference frame, your reference frame, and then to begin to walk in the joy of the Lord. God, we, we experience the joy of the Lord when we get the perspective of the Lord. Help us to walk with that, saturated by your joy in all circumstances and situations as we go out of your place, participants in the joyful kingdom of God. Thank you for being a joyful God who makes a joyful people. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said one last time. God bless you guys. Go forth and joy.